Hey, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and then some. I wrote the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, because I'm a registered nurse who worked in labor and delivery for about 20 years, and I wanted to get the word out that there's more to getting good prenatal and maternal health care than just showing up for your appointments or showing up on the family maternity unit. There needs to be active engagement between healthcare providers and their clients, aka patients, aka the women who contract their services. And these healthcare providers' jobs are to provide their clients with the, all the info they need to make their own decisions about what care they want and what care they don't. Now, it seems like that ought to be common sense, but it isn't in most maternal healthcare settings. And that's what the book is about. And it's also, you know, among the many things we talk about here on the podcast. We started with the book, though, so go out and pick up a copy, ASAP. It's on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's in your local independent bookstore. It's all over the place. Just go get a copy. I also have some new stuff coming out soon um, that I'm really excited about. So keep your eyes and ears open, because when it's ready, you're going to want some. Um, And I'll let you know about all that coming up. Okay, what's been happening? Um... I went, I spent this Saturday at the AWP conference. That's the Association of Writers and Writing Programs. Um, And I attended several panel discussions that day from writers and authors of all kinds of works. There were close to, I heard, 17,000 writers, students, and teachers who all gathered to do what people do at large conferences, you know, to learn, to listen, to connect. Um. It seemed like a fairly equal distribution of men and women, probably more women at this conference. But what I found interesting was this. Many of the women I heard um, talking on panels or at readings talked about how they fit their writing life in with their work and their family lives. They talked about, you know, writing in the bathroom for 10 minutes at a time when their kids were little. And they talked about the freedom they felt when their youngest went to kindergarten and they had three full hours every day to focus on their own stuff. And they talked about how they had to give up writing for years on end because they just had too many things going on. The men, the kid thing didn't seem to come up very much. You know, they talked more about their writing processes, their motivations, their plot or character challenges, or how they keep themselves on track along with, you know, teaching and other gigs. I thought that was an interesting difference. And it's the same thing that I've heard at other kinds of conferences. What I also thought was interesting was how few children and babies were at the conference. Almost none. I did see a few. and They'd come along with their parents who were, you know, speakers or presenters. And I saw a couple of women with babies and Bjorns, but very, very few. And it made me think about the conversation I had recently with Natalia Shelburne, who wrote an article in the early, in early March for the New York Times about attending a conference in Europe that provided childcare. Revolutionary. So that's what we're going to talk about this week, right after a quick break. Okay, we're back. And I want to get right to this week's guest. 
Now, after I read Natalia Shelburne's article, I contacted her and invited her on the podcast. And she said, yes, I'm excited. So Natalia Shelburne is a front-end developer at the New York Times, a fine artist, a speaker, educator, illustrator, relentless optimist, and a doer of good deeds. Let's get Natalia on the line. Hi, Natalia. It's Jeannie. How are you? I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. So I am in Portland, Oregon. Where are you? I'm in Midtown Manhattan in New York. I love that city. It's my favorite. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. I've done a lot of work there. I have a daughter who lives there. Love it. Well, it's pretty great. It's a rainy day today, though, so not not as lovely as usual. Yeah, this is our usual. This is our usual. We're the land of drizzle. Yeah. That's right. I can't complain to you about that. (laughs) No, you can't. (laughs) So, Natalia, I had the chance to read your – really, I just – I liked your bio so much. I'm just going to read it again, and then I'll ask you my first question. (laughs) You're a front-end developer at the New York Times, a fine artist, a speaker, an educator, an illustrator, a relentless optimist, and a doer of good deeds. I would like to unpack all of that. But first and foremost, who are you and what do you do? Uh, well, I think the bio really covers it, um, <laughs> but uh, pretty yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, pretty well, you know, uh, I hope you also hear the beautiful ambience of New York that'll also be happening. Um, yeah. All the honking and horns. Um, so yeah, I'm, you know, I consider myself very multidisciplinary. I would never, you know, say like, I'm just a coder or just a one single discipline person. Um, I'm a career switcher into tech. I used to work at a nonprofit and I like to say I was like forged in the fires of a nonprofit to be able to find problems, to solve problems, to come up with solutions no one's really ever thought of before. And now I just do that with code. Uh, And I do that at the New York Times because I'm also a very mission driven person and I love supporting the journalism. Um, but I also am still an educator. Uh, the nonprofit was an education nonprofit. So I'm still teaching. I'm teaching a class at the Harvard extension school, um, There's just a lot. (laughs) I could keep going, but it feels a little silly to just keep going on about me. Yeah. And, and you also, you know, I reached out to you because of um, your early March piece in the Times about, Mm -hmm. so, so you do writing as well. You're, you're a contributing writer as well, primarily in the tech industry area. Well, that's an interesting uh, thing. So I believe that one of the best ways to convey your ideas is through writing because you have a chance to sit down and really refine an idea until it's exactly what you want to say. And I've always written uh, before I even got into tech about whether it's something I'm learning about or as part of a curriculum to students, uh, I find that getting my ideas onto paper is both very useful for me to learn, but also is a great way to offer resources for others to help them learn as well. Uh, So I do a fair bit of technical articles. They own, you know, my other Times Open article is about a technical implementation of a new uh, CSS grid for a, a watching app. So um, kind of half and half, really. Mm, okay. So as I mentioned, you know, I, re- I read a, a piece that you did in early March for the Times about an experience that you had at a tech conference in mm-hmm. Scotland. And for our listeners who haven't read that article yet, um, can you tell us about that experience? Yeah. So one of the things that I did when I joined the tech community was I started going to events, to meetups, and then eventually to conferences. And uh, I 
was used to teaching and speaking in front of an audience of students. So speaking at tech conferences came pretty naturally to me. And I applied. And after a couple of, uh, you know, refinements to my talk, I was accepted to speak at uh, Scotland CSS. And this was my 10th conference by this point, but it was not, it was a conference that uh, was a little different this time because I had to bring my eight-month-old daughter along. And what I realized was that it was a completely different situation for parents to try to come and be included in these events. Um, I had to bring my husband. I had to do all of these like mental acrobatics and make uh, schedules work, everything, just to be able to bring her and do my job as a speaker. And what happened there was uh, at the perfect storm of a moment um, when my husband was supposed to take on primary caregiver duties, uh, his job called him and he had a crisis to solve and I couldn't take her up on stage or, you know, I started to panic. But fortunately, this was Scotland CSS and this was a conference that was forward thinking enough where Peter Aiken, an organizer there, um, he got a corporate sponsor to sponsor childcare. And I could just take my daughter to the childcare room downstairs, have her play with caregivers who were certified and amazing and professional and do my job. And that made me think about like, well, who's not here because, you know, who's not at conferences when they don't have childcare? What happens to the people who choose not to go, who don't have the resources that I had to be able to go? Uh, and that set me off on a big kind of quest to question who are, whose voices are we missing? So that's what happened. That was a whole lot more than, than just, you know, going to a conference and giving my talk as I had done before. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a discovery of all of the people we're missing because it's the barrier to entry is all of a sudden so much higher for people with children. Well, in any industry, you know, I, I, I have actually, I've, I've worked in, you know, development and I've worked in the humanitarian sector and I've worked in um, the nursing sector for all of my careers. And I have never been to a conference anywhere in the world that provided child care, especially mm -hmm. not yet, yeah, never. And in fact, I have to admit that, it never even really occurred to me until recently that that should just be a thing. I mean, even yeah. not even at nursing conferences, which is almost all women. And I think that, you know, maybe the feminist trend of my generation, I'm older than you, has been that women model their work lives like men's work lives. That makes mm -hmm. us equal. And, you know, we're supposed to work like men do in men's works workplaces, but we're women with different needs. And, you know, why didn't it occur to anyone that this was something we needed until now? And that's actually something that I fell victim to as well. You know, I'm in my early 30s and I feel like I, when I got pregnant, I, I mentally, I knew like, I don't have to hide this pregnancy. I don't have to pretend I'm not tired. I don't have, but of course I did. Mm -hmm. I came to work and, you know, I got very anemic. I got very sick towards the end of my pregnancy. And there was one point where I'm sitting at my desk and my vision's starting to blur and I have a headache. And I'm just like, whoa, I better finish out these tickets. And then, head, and, you know, and it was just a completely yeah. crazy moment of like, what am I doing? Right. And that was kind of that, that beginning of a, I don't think I, have a very healthy understanding of what it means to be a woman or like a person who is able to carry a pregnancy in the office and then what that means. And so when it came to something like this tech conference, like it never occurred to me either. You know, I just, you know, I'd seen uh, conference speakers be there uh, with their wife, usually, you know, be a, the man speaking with his you know wife in attendance um, on average and th their child together with them. And it was just like, wow, how wonderful that, that this conference is so great that they can all come and be, you know, be together. And it was great, but it never occurred to me to shape the space to suit me. 
Right. It always felt like I had to shit change myself to feel included mm-hmm. when I was personally, you know, when my body was changing, everything about me was changing. I was becoming a parent. It never occurred to me realize, to realize that I own this space just as much as anybody else and that I can help shape the space to fit the people, to include more people. Yeah. And for me, that just the clearest, lowest hanging fruit there was just, we have to have childcare and not just childcare, but what if it was amazing and standard and it was just a celebrated, amazing thing? And that got me thinking a lot. Yeah. for I think that for a lot of women, young women, you know, they have, you know, there was a point in time where my daughters, who are probably about the same age that you are, we were having a conversation where they were talking about how they didn't think that feminism was really relevant anymore. This was prior mm-hmm. to Me Too. This was prior to Time's Up. Um, but it they just didn't think it was relevant. And I've heard that from a lot of women until they become pregnant or until they become a mother. And then all of a sudden they get it that, oh no, even in the best of workplaces, there is um, you know, a professional penalty or at least tremendous professional obstacles that will be in the primary parents way that Mm -hmm. just don't have to be there. They just don't have to be there. Do you think it's entirely a gender thing? Uh, I don't think it's a gender thing at all. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, it is obviously the biological, like odds are uh, the biological burden of bearing a child is very much going to be um, on the, on the woman. But you know, when you really think about it, my whole article actually is written pretty gender neutral for a very specific reason. It's because uh, there are actually uh, so many men, you know, and there, of course, just to, to remember, there are, you know, non-heterosexual couples out there as well who, mm-hmm. you know, who who have someone at home, whether mm-hmm. it be a parent or a partner or a close friend who has to pick up this labor because there is no access to childcare. So, you know, when I did this Twitter poll asking the tech community at Twitter, it was like, Hey, what happens when you're asked to speak at a conference? There's no childcare. No one's reimbursing you. What do you do? And, you know, I had just as many men respond as women saying that like, look, I don't have, I'm a single parent. I'm a single dad or uh, my wife works and I can't just dump the childcare duties onto her for a whole week or so, or a weekend or even a day to go to a conference. So, you know, it's this realization. It's not just to, to like, kind of like, Oh, let's, let's have the women show up. If we just give them some childcare, it's just the realization that right now this is happening to Mm -hmm. everybody. Everybody's Mm -hmm. trying to solve this problem. And, it's the um, you know, scramble. It's the yeah. big scramble. The work, the work child care scramble. When I also find that there's a, a disconnect in understanding as well, because historically the burden of child care and that second shift of managing child care, setting up a babysitter, setting up a network of child care has fallen to women as well. Um, a lot of men who are also either organizing conferences or providing, you know, the people setting up what gets reimbursed at work or not, or kind of even factoring in the labor, they're not the ones experiencing it. So it's just not on their radar. Yeah. So. It just doesn't occur to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, one, one anecdote is, um, you know, I had, I've had people ask me just like, why can't you just go to another conference, some conference, you know, abroad and just drop your kid off somewhere and then go to the venue for the whole day. And it's just like, do you know how scared my child would be if we just traveled across the world and I just dumped them somewhere and then went to some venue far away. And it's just this kind of 
non-malicious, but gap in understanding, I think, really. it's Yeah. I, um, I Yeah. I can't imagine it either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's more of a, a broader conversation about, you know, how the lack of childcare holds, you know, women and parents back mm-hmm. in the United States. And it's in professional ways and economic ways and all kinds of different ways. And it's really different in other countries where, you know, women are better supported to stay home while their babies are little if they want to, to share family leave with their partners if they can, mm-hmm. if they, you know, to have childcare support once they return to the workplace, just not here in the U.S. And I mm-hmm. am really encouraged right now that with so many women in Congress, this conversation is is taking place nationally um, and even becoming a significant part of some presidential pa- platforms for 2020. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that it's really important that you know women that work in the tech sector are bringing this conversation forward too, and that's something that you're doing with that article. It's well, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I have such a position of privilege because I'm a, a white woman working in an industry that pays well, so that I can afford a caregiver to come with me uh, to these conferences, and so that uh, in a room of 1,500 people, I can be the only one with a baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, and it's not to say that I'm the success story because, well, if I can do it, anyone can do it. It's like, no, it took me so, it took so much. It costs so much, both emotionally, physically, and, and mentally to be able to do this, that like, uh, that means everybody else who has just a little bit less either time or support can't do that isn't there mm-hmm. and it makes me realize absolutely like i keep saying who's missing and so you know you're saying that it's really great that it's coming up as you know part of presidential platforms as well it's just because uh when i really think about who's missing it's you know it's i feel like there's a, a bias in in kind of society oh just parents are missing it's like all people who are parents are missing have so like they have so much to contribute, you know, just like in that Twitter poll, Mm -hmm. I had people who were industry leaders who I respect. I've read their books. I've, I'm just in awe that they even responded to me saying, yeah, I don't go to conferences anymore because I don't have childcare. And that is it. That is the one thing keeping them from going. And it's just unreal. What if they had the support to go and didn't have to opt out for so many years? Like how much more could we learn? And when you, you know, spread that out to not just the top, you know, influential thought leaders who made it back to the conference stage eventually, or, you know, managed to write books, but just in general, the population. Um, I am no expert on this, but feminism needs to be intersectional. And, you know, at the end of the day, childcare, economics, supporting women, that, like, think about how many women do not have the privilege that I have, the support that I have, but who can contribute so much to mm-hmm. any industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can talk about like, it's the right thing to do to provide childcare. I'm just saying it's the smart thing to do. It is absolutely the, 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 like, think of any incentive you want, like business opportunity, whatever, like it is absolutely the, such a good thing to do to bring so many different voices uh, to your events, to your industry, to whatever, by providing childcare, removing that barrier for such a large demographic of people um, that it just, it, it boggles the mind that we haven't done it yet for me. I mean, like, uh, we can send a rocket powered car to, or like send our car to the moon and like 
orbit around space, but you know, childcare that that seems too hard. I know, I, know. I know. It's it's even too hard to have the conversation in in you know, in the halls of in Capitol Hill. Um, what's the impact been since you wrote that article? What have you heard? I'd love to say that it's been a roar of support from men and women across the world. But, you know, it's been a fraction of what the impact is when I write a technical article, because Mm -hmm. it's one of those until it's a problem to you, you just don't understand. Right. And, you know, I'm guilty as well. Until I had my daughter, I thought I understood or I thought I knew what it meant. And of course, I didn't. And so, you know, the response has been great from... Actually, 100% of women who've responded have been wonderful. There are a couple of champions of the status quo telling me I'm entitled. And I'm just like, you lack imagination and you bore me. Stop responding to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just not, do not engage there. Yeah. Uh, but the response has really been great. And But what, what I think the, the most important thing has been is uh, my, my desire to reach corporate sponsors uh, and connect them with conference organizers. Because one thing I don't want to do is burden the conference conference organizers with another expectation that is, you know, they're already putting forward so much energy to put things together, to organize an event, uh, to build community. And, you know, especially in the U.S., childcare is really hard to figure out for everyone, including at an event, you've got all those liability and, you know, insurance questions, et cetera. Um, but it's been really great to be able to connect them and to connect them with uh, companies that do pop-up childcare, uh, just like the one in Scotland CSS from the article uh, with conferences. So um, my hope isn't to just to get positive feedback from individuals who kind of start seeing like, oh, here's what it will mean when I have a child and I want to do a tech conference. But um, I think my favorite thing has been the response from conference organizers and people who kind of can funnel the money from corporate sponsorships for these events to say, maybe we'll earmark for childcare this year. They'd be smart to do that. Yeah. They'd be smart. Well, <clears throat> I'd really like to go over some of the tips that you provided in the article itself for traveling to conferences if there is no childcare available. Do you mind if we go over them real quick? Yeah. And, and you know, that's coming directly from having done that as well. When Well, my these are the tips that matter. <laughs> these are the yeah. ones that we want to know. This is Oof. the down and dirty info we need to know. So you say secure and pay for a trusted caregiver to accompany them or you to the conference. So for in your circumstance, it was um, your husband came with you. Yeah. But, yeah. I have a friend who always travels with her parents. They're, they're portable. She buys them both tickets and they watch the babies while she works wherever it is in the world. Any other ideas yeah. on that one? <laughs> you know, I, I took a long time writing that bullet point because to have access to someone for say up to a week, if it's an international conference is incredible. Who has mm-hmm. that kind of flexibility and time, especially, you know, if someone's parents aren't retired yet, my parents aren't retired. They can't mm-hmm. come. Um, my, the only reason my husband could come is that he has the ability to work remotely mm-hmm. and that's also, a you know, miracle. Lucky in our <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, wow, what are the odds? Um, and it has to be a trusted caregiver that is comfortable with your child because when you are traveling abroad, there are so many changes, so many challenges that, you know, your child's going to be having a tough time and you have to make sure it's a good experience for them as well so that they're traveling with someone that brings them comfort rather than adds to the stress. Right. So depending on the age of the child, obviously. So, um, you know, if you can't figure that one out and just like many people can't, 
they are not at your conference. They're not at your event and um, you're missing out on their perspectives. So the next one is if breastfeeding, confirm that the conference will provide a private room. If pumping, ask for a private room with a lock and an outlet and access to a refrigerator to store pumped milk. Can I add to that? Make sure that you've got the right uh, electric uh, converter. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, that is important. Yes. Yeah. That's so a tough moment. One. You're at, you're in the private room. You've got the door locked. You've got your breast pump out. You're ready to go. The you're somewhat engorged. Outlet. You don't have the right outlet. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like ever since um, I had my daughter, I've been just this champion advocate for breastfeeding. And it's like, I keep teaching people for the first time of what it means to breastfeed. We really shield people from this information really, really hard. So, you know, for example, people don't know that if you are actively breastfeeding an infant, if you don't breastfeed or pump every three hours, you are at risk of getting mastitis, which is going to make you land in the hospital. Yeah. You know, this is a physical accommodation. This is not a nice to have. This is like, I don't want to go to the hospital if your event is longer than three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and you know, it doesn't have to be a private room. The reason I said it's a private room is it's for, in my case, for baby's comfort. It can mm-hmm. be so overwhelming and exciting that they might not nurse if it's too much going on. So mm-hmm. if you can just tuck away somewhere for a private room um, for, for that kind of comfort. And then, yeah, for pumping, I found that at the several events that I went to last year, I was the first and only person to ever ask for a, accommodations for pumping. Uh, which I was more than happy to do because it's like if they can figure it out this one time for me, that means the next person right. will already have something figured out for them. It's privacy. Um, it's an outlet and a mini fridge. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. you need because yeah. you got to know where to put it, how to keep it, uh, and you know, store the, it. Yeah. It's, it's a pain, but yeah, you have to do it if you want to. If you want people who are uh, breastfeeding to come to your event, you have to figure out those accommodations. And then you say, call the hotel to request a crib or child safe bed and a refrigerator at minimum. That's so smart. And just call ahead. Tell them, please, oh, please, I beg of you, have the crib set up and the bed made when we get to the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, we've had great experiences with with hotels uh, with just like a child safe bed and they're like really, really happy to do it. And I had no idea that was a thing before. Um, but also things like a refrigerator is, it's not an option. It's if you have breast milk or something, if children's food, you can't order a burger for your, you know, for your eight month old baby. It's contraindicated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like if they'll eat it, okay, wow. But you know, it's not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the next one is make sure the location is accessible with a stroller and bring a car seat if traveling by car. That makes good common sense. I like that one. If you've ever been stuck um, trying to push a stroller through a cobblestone street, um, that's that. It's that a hard one. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, this was in Paris and there were stairs and cobblestone streets everywhere. And that's where I realized I'm really glad I also brought my baby wearing <laughs> because but, I was not able to get through. But you know what I always think about is in when I'm in New York is the mm-hmm. mothers that have to get up and down the subway steps with their strollers. Yeah. That's hard. And there was recently one that, that um, I don't know if you saw the New York Times article where a woman fell and her, her one-year-old daughter survived, but she did not. Oh my and God, that I just didn't. Absolutely brings to light, you know, accommodations. People sometimes think like that's for the one wheelchair user in the elevator. It's like, no, it's for everybody. Yeah. Accessibility is about making things accessible for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a whole other <clears throat> accessibility is just a whole other uh, conversation I can have. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I know. That's another long conversation. And your last bullet point on this one was, accept that there will be no sleep during travel and add extra days to the itinerary to recover sleep. Smart. Very smart. Yeah. And you think you're good at getting uh, over jet lag? Doesn't matter how good you are. Yeah. How that's good is your happen. baby? Yeah, right. <laughs> how, good, right. how good is your kid? Yeah, because he or um, she is going to feel it too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it kind of seems like, wow, this is too much. I guess I should really stay home. But- it, you know, it, at the same time, I'm coming back and saying like, it was absolutely worth it for me to do all of those travels, all of those trips and to, to, to do these events because, uh, not only were they wonderful for me, but they were really wonderful for my daughter as well. Yeah. Um, every single time we would take her on a trip, I swear I could see a little mental leap from all the new sights and sounds and food and just new people and things to discover. And that if you are able to right now, uh, to overcome the great obstacles ahead and, you know, get a trusted caregiver and, and do all these things. It's actually remarkably wonderful to attend these events. And after every single one, I'm exhausted, but I'm so happy that I did it. Mm -hmm. But I wish it was not only easier, but I wish it was better. And that's, I guess, kind of the, the, the conversation I want to shift it to. You know, I could do all of this preparing individuals for the, the hard ordeal ahead but what I'd really rather do is talk about what it could be and the great vision forward for, for what the space could be if we helped make it that way. Um, there's some great examples in Europe, like Scotland CSS is one where there was just this beautiful moment where, you know, the, the kids came up from the childcare room and had tea and cookies and whatever those little tiny little delicious European pastries were, you know, with their parents and mingled between everybody in the morning. And it was just mm -hmm. this awesome time. So nice. And developers were talking yeah. to each other from all over the world and their kids were getting to kind of play together. And, you know, it was just a really, really nice time. And then, you know, it was talk time again. They went downstairs back to their toy filled room. Um, there are events where there are specific uh, stations for children of all ages. So there was this conference that I found through this kind of big Twitter thread that uh, it's called Tech Chill, which basically sets up stations where companies bring in Arduino kits, robot kits, all sorts of cool stuff for young you know, kids of developers who are already tech savvy to play around with and learn from uh, you know, and I'm sure these brands are getting a whole lot out of it by, you know, getting young kids excited about whatever it is they're doing. You know, all of a sudden they have kids wearing those stickers and, you know, cool little t-shirts, but um, it created an environment where the parents could have a cool tech conference and right adjacent, their kids could be having an amazing experience. So it wasn't just childcare where you, you know, someone's just watching them. It was actually a mini conference just for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's one I would fly across the world to go to. Yeah. <laughs> like I would, it's not just like, oh, is it okay for my daughter? It'd be like, is it the best time for her? Yes. I got to make sure I'm there. And that's, that's really kind of that kind of opportunity. I hope that corporate sponsors start seeing that, you know, we got a lot of tech savvy kids growing up whose parents would be super happy to go to a conference and learn all about their brand <laughs> if they provided these things instead of like, you know, another t-shirt you don't need or another you know, grocery bag. Yeah. Yeah. Another yeah. tote bag that you're just going to throw away. And you know, that's a model that could translate to conferences in every industry. I mean, what if, 
you know, I went to a development pro- conference somewhere and they had a children's development conference going on at the same time. My kids could come there. What if I Absolutely. went to a, you know, nursing conference somewhere and they had some other thing going on there for the kids of nurses, you know, it's a brilliant Enriching model. opportunities for children yeah. are, you know, the, people say like, it's impossible. But I, when I worked at my nonprofit, I ran you know, art on a Saturdays and uh, art events for kids. And, you know, they're honestly, you know, I started four summer camps that are still going. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just kind of saying, well, someone should do this thing. I did do this thing. I did organize events for kids. And I know how absolutely possible it is to, to, to build these things. It just, you know, it, it just takes work and money. I mean, just like anything else. And that's one thing that the tech industry you know, has is money and people who love doing work and solving problems and making the impossible happen. So I feel like it'd be a missed opportunity not to realize just the incredible opportunity for change and, you know, a big what if. And cultural growth. And you know what I really love at this time in history is that, you know, conferences are an opportunity for people to come from all over the world over a, you know, common interest or a common profession. But that's the thing is people are coming from all over the world and it's a chance for Mm -hmm. people to meet and mingle. And if we made this an intergenerational thing, it's Mm -hmm. going to change industries and, you know, the world at large for generations to come because it won't be so weird to play with, you know, a kid who comes from another culture or another religion or another country. It won't be so strange to interact with, with people, you know, that's something we need right now. And and it's just, it's got so many far reaching Mm -hmm. benefits that, you know, I would struggle to understand someone saying why we shouldn't try, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Did Um, you see, did you, did you see the swearing in day uh, for the 116th Congress? uh, I did not. Well, it's just, it was a, a moment that I had never seen before when, you know, all of these women are being sworn in for the 116th Congress, and young men as well. And um, it was filled with children. There were children everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like, oh, it's Children's Day on Capitol Hill. Bring your daughter to work. No, it was the biggest day in their parents' life. They were being sworn in as new congressmen and senators, and they were just present. It was something I had never seen like this before. It was wonderful. You know, actually, I did see photos of that. And yeah. I remember thinking the same thing, like, wow, I remember that it stood out for me yeah. as well. Yeah, it was different. Um, yeah. But but that's, you know, honestly, the kind of thing I, I'm, I'm actually pushing for. And I may, you know, it was very difficult for me to, especially like, given the earlier story about trying to pretend I was not sick during my pregnancy, or mm-hmm. trying to pretend I wasn't tired. Uh, and trying to pretend that I'm not changed by this experience. It's like, I am absolutely changed and I'm way better than I was before. Mm-hmm. You know, I am transformed into the best version of myself ever. And, you know, my daughter is part of like, she she is a big part of that. Um, she was a big catalyst for that change. And so for me, I think it was a really big deal where, you know, I was able to walk around at a conference while holding her. Uh, when I was able to walk right after I, I gave a talk on stage and hold my daughter in front of everyone and say, look, this is what it looks like uh, w- when a mom can do, you know, do this conference talk and hold a baby at the same time yeah. to normalize it, to just make it more common to see. Uh, and, you know, everybody was so wonderful about it. Yeah. It, was, it was really, really great. I think people, 
um, this idea that like, if you show up with your kid, that someone's going to give you dirty looks the same, like if you showed up to a, a steak restaurant at 9 PM and your baby started, you know, that, that kind of yeah. scenario that keeps running in your head of somebody will give you a dirty look. It just doesn't happen. Right. People are really happy to see children mm-hmm. in, in public spaces mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, I think it's, um, if, if that's the big fear holding people back from, from traveling somewhere with their, like a conference with their kid, then that's one I can, you know, quickly say is not going to happen. Yeah. Well, good. People that's really, that's important information. I think that, you know, parents, probably mostly mothers are, are very worried about not offending, you know, that's like their mm-hmm. biggest goal. Keep the baby quiet. Make sure you don't offend anybody. Well, you know what? It's messy. It's loud. This is parenthood. We work for a living. We're out here. We're doing it. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, you know, a lifetime of social conditioning to be smaller, to excuse yeah. the actions of others, yes. to to minimize uh, our prime, one it, of our primary absolutely. occupations. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to, and not only that, I mean, like it, you know, it, <laughs> It's, it's definitely a people please, like we've, we've been encouraged to be people pleasers our whole lives Mm -hmm. and to avoid conflict. But, you know, they're really, I was so ready to just, you know, I've been waiting for this big confrontation for someone to tell me to stop breastfeeding in public or do this or that. I've been just waiting so ready with a script in mind and it hasn't happened. You know, at one point, right before giving my talk, I was in the speaker room. And I was about to present to 1,400 people. I'm looking over my slides. I am nervous. And my daughter starts crying. And my husband walks over. And I know I need to nurse her right then. Mm -hmm. And I had to, in front of just like these people, I super, super respect. Just be like, okay, sorry. Oh, God. Oh, just, you know, pop out a boob, basically, and make sure my daughter was okay before I got to go on stage. And I figured, man, if there's going to be a moment where oh, this is not the time to do this. this gonna, someone's going to say something now. And all I got was a thumbs up from someone saying, you're a, you're doing great. Like, yeah, this is amazing. You're amazing. And I was just like, that means a lot. Thank you for saying yeah. that. But yeah, <laughs> I kind of wish I didn't have to do this right now just for my own personal sake. But um, people have been really wonderful. There is no confrontation. I think it's just a lack of representation in that we haven't stepped into the space and shaped it for people like us. So what I'm trying to do is just step into that space using every possible resource I have and make the, the entry, the door wider and just open the door for as many more women who, and, you know, and dads who can come in who need childcare for the people who are primary caregivers um, to be able to, 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 to be there, you know, to share these spaces and to help shape those spaces with them. So we are coming to the end of our good conversation here, but I want to know, I have a few more questions for you. And the most important one is what else do you want listeners to know about you and where they can find you? And, you know, if they want more information about this topic. So (laughs) I also, you know, you asked me earlier, do you write a lot? I write on a motherhood blog that I made myself. Uh, because I wanted to learn a specific technology, but also because I wanted to write about motherhood. And it has kind of a, a sarcastic little title. You know, the uh, the idea of like cup half full, cup half empty? Yeah. Well, because this one's about motherhood, it's boobhalfempty.com. <laughs> I like it. You know, they're like these are little sarcastic, they're, they're little illustrations that I did over baby's nap time and then followed with more uh, in-depth essays. And there's things about like just 
what does baby weight mean? How, what does it mean to me? And what does society say about <laughs> what I should weigh after baby and how fast I should get there? Or, you know, just the pressure to go green because once you have a child, you realize, oh my God, we have to fix the environment. Can I use this plastic straw with, <laughs> you know, without feeling super guilty, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, if you want to hear more uh, passionate uh, talking about or pa passionate essays about uh, motherhood specific to living in New York, especially um, boobhalfempty.com. Uh, if you want to see that. more of the professional tech stuff, <laughs> it's going to be on the Times Open blog, but also links to my personal Medium account, which has a couple of more essays there. And then, you know, I'm kind of all over the web. <laughs> I'm trying to just trying to make sure that I'm using my platform as a voice for advocating for people in any chance, any chance that I get. Well, since we're audio, let's spell your name for people. And then I get to ask you your, my last two questions. So Natalia, right, so N-A-T-A-L-Y-A. -A -A. Sure. Uh, and that's, so if you find me on Twitter, it's Natalia3, N-A-T-A-L-Y-A-T-H-R-E-E. -A -A -E. Got it. <laughs> so it's a little uh, harder when you say it. Um, and then, yeah, it's uh, boobhalfempty.com for my for my blog and you can basically find me from there. Natalia Shelburne. Okay. My last mm -hmm. two questions are, how would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Mm. About, about parenthood anything in general or anything you want. Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that having my daughter would light such a fire <laughs> under my butt. Like, <laughs> I had no idea what a creative period it would unleash to have my daughter uh, of just wanting to make the world a better place, to make things better for people and to get to work making things better for, for everyone. That's a really good answer. I love that. Yeah. So then my last question is this, where are you in the world of motherhood? Uh, you mean like how, how far along I am no, or any way that you want to relate to that question? I mean, some people say I'm surrounded by it or they say I'm a daughter or, you know, whatever, where in the world are you in terms of motherhood? I feel like I am, I can give you a different answer depending on the day and on the hour, <laughs> but I think, mm. I think, um, you know, it's just one of those things where. I've thought about it for so long and, you know, I was with my husband, we were together for like 14 years before we had our daughter. So it's just such a big change. Uh, but I, oh man, that's a hard one where, uh, I guess maybe eternally questioning what it means and what it could mean and what I can do with it and who am I because of it and who am I without, you know, like in addition to it, because one of the things that I was always so determined was that I wouldn't let it be my only identity, mm -hmm. but I'm also starting to realize it's also a very powerful, powerful identity to draw upon, mm -hmm. to draw from. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think like it, I mean, like motherhood's my secret weapon. I don't know really. Um, maybe that, that's, that's a, a hard one. I'm going to be thinking about them for a while. I like that answer though, that motherhood is your secret weapon. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's like this well of strength, resilience, patience, and, and, you know, I'm constantly practicing all those skills in motherhood. So it, it kind of sharpens me for getting out there and, and 
getting the, you know, making things better, building things, doing the work. I'm glad that you're in the space doing it. Thank you. This has been a fun conversation, Natalia. I've really, really enjoyed it. You and this I is lovely. You and I are no doubt going to talk again down the road. That would be really great. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. That's it for this week, folks. Our guest today was Natalia Shelburne, and you can learn more about her at boobhalfempty.com. You can learn more about me at genefaulkner.com. And yes, I'll spell it again. J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. Tweet me at Gene Faulkner. Instagram us. Find us on Facebook. And send me your questions and ideas over at gene at genefaulkner.com. And if you're in Portland and you want to get in on some of the writing workshops we're doing, just follow that link on my website and sign yourself up. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk again next week. Are you a new, expectant, or aspiring mom? The Pure Nurture Podcast is for moms just like you looking for information and inspiration to create a healthy new life for yourself and your growing baby. I'm Christy Rodriguez, and I'm the host of the Pure Nurture Podcast. On the show, I share interviews with experts, educators, and moms who focus on a natural, holistic, mind-body approach to pregnancy, birth, and postpartum health. Join us today at purenurture.com forward slash podcast.